Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, lessons learned at the component level that make a difference at headquarters. I am so thankful I had that opportunity to understand what it is to be at a component. And the laundry list of technologies for you to know in 2022. Artificial intelligence, which includes, you know, RPA, chatbots, machine learning, natural language processing, basically anything that takes the cognitive load off a uh, actual human. The chief technology officer's uh, office and uh, headquarters and, and DHS does so much work and it's such an incredible team. Um, but, you know, everything that you know is like, what are you doing for the company? What's the carrot? What's the stick? It's Monday, January 3rd, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Defense Department is back on maximum telework today. A memo from the Director of Administration and Management of the Pentagon, Michael Donnelly, says office occupancy rates should be less than 40% of normal capacity. The Pentagon announced recently that Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin tested positive for COVID. COVID-19. Immigration and Customs Enforcement is preparing a new solicitation for an agile development contract. ICE says the new deal will cover development and operational and maintenance support for a new center of excellence. ICE says outsourcing the work will allow the agency to scale it faster. The Government Accountability Office has seven new members of its Health Information Technology Advisory Committee. The new members include representatives from academia and the private sector. The new members serve for three years, and GAO can reappoint them for three more. You can read more about all these headlines and lots of other stories at fedscoop.com. It's not too early to plan for IT Mod Week. It's coming February 28th through March 4th. More than 100 events will happen around D.C. with a lot of government and industry speakers. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Cyber challenges are at the top of the list of challenges every agency will face in 2022. Jeff Stone's editor-in-chief of CyberScoop. Jeff, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. As we kind of get back to the work grind of January, what do you think should be on the agenda of federal information technology leaders vis-a-vis the cyber world, not just what's going on in government, but the threats they face all across the landscape. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you for having me, Francis. It's always great to chat with you a little bit. You and I are getting back to work uh, after some downtime over the past couple of weeks. I don't think that people who are thinking about cybersecurity or information technology um, from a data protection standpoint in the federal government are Coming back from a break, I think they've been working nonstop. There is a major vulnerability that some of your listeners might have learned of last month called the Log4j flaw that um, is a major issue that um, uh, cyber personnel have been essentially scrambling to fix over the past few weeks. We've seen a number of patches come out, uh, software updates meant to resolve this issue. Some have been more successful than others. We know, though, that the severity of this vulnerability has created um, really a, a, a moment, another moment of nonstop work for folks in this world. There are a lot of people thinking about that vulnerability and working on it as you're right over the holiday season. What does that work look like? What does that entail for somebody who's not a cyber practitioner? Is it the same as response to other, uh, other threats or does this one look different somehow, Jeff? Um, this is different. There are um, uh, a number of open source 
technology tools that underpin a lot of the software that we use in everyday products, things like uh, major cloud providers, for instance, or major websites that people rely on without even thinking about it. This flaw, this log4j flaw, exists in one of those open source libraries that underpins a lot of the digital infrastructure. Um, that means uh, the urgency of that issue has created uh, a really a rush to get out some of these fixes. Normally, um, when a patching process gets underway, take a Microsoft uh, releases monthly patches for their products, for instance, they're usually not quite as urgent, which means there's more time to um, understand the potential uh, outages or difficulties or challenges that come with those updates. In this case, a lot of times there's just not times to um, test how this patch is going to work out. So that means um, information security folks are putting in um, big security updates. They don't always know how they're going to work. They typically work fine, but we've seen uh, a couple incidents over the past few weeks in which um, the log4j solution actually creates new areas of vulnerability. So it's it's a, another example of putting out multiple different fires from from a single um, issue, if that makes sense. It does make sense. What also makes sense is the premise under which we started this conversation, Jeff, which is people have been active, people have been busy on this issue for a long period of time. I'm sure it's not the only one that's out there. What's potentially over the horizon for information technology leaders in government so that they don't get consumed by this one thing and get distracted from other things that could be coming at them? A lot of it continues to come back to ransomware. We have seen over the past few weeks, certainly over the past few months, but certainly over the past few weeks, new strains of um, uh, malicious software that enables attackers to conduct kind of digital extortion attacks against their victims. We are seeing um, constantly evolving uh, phishing emails that come attached with malicious documents that will take over a computer, then spread through an organization in a way that remains a major challenge, not just for the Department of Homeland Security and um, guidance for federal agencies, but also in, in the private sector too. That that really, I think, what we've heard now for, for two or three years, uh, 2019, 2020, 21 has been the year of ransomware. It's just becoming the generation of, of ransomware. So this is a a philosophical question, I guess. And, right. and maybe if you, if you don't want to speculate, I respect that. But I think it's very curious. We have seen any number of incidents where state, local governments, um, academia, and of course, lots of private sector companies have been impacted by ransomware. I'm not aware of any publicized ransomware incidents that involve federal government agencies. Are they better at it? Or are they better at not letting us know? And like I said, if you don't want to speculate, I get it. But I, that just it's it just strikes me as curious. I'd prefer not to speculate. I would be surprised if federal federal agencies have not dealt with dealt with ransomware. I'll, I'll put it that way. All right, that's fair yeah. enough. Uh, Jeff Stone, editor in chief of CyberScoop. Thanks very much. Uh, look forward to continuing the conversation.
Thanks very much, Francis. You can read more about all these topics in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. IT leaders from the Energy Department, the IRS, the State Department, and the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center at the Pentagon are coming to Government Forum 2022. It's Wednesday, January 19th. It's coming up at the Ritz-Carlton Pentagon City. You can read more about it and see the agenda in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The White House executive order on cybersecurity will form the basis of agency action on cyber in the new year. Billy Mitchell is vice president of content and community for FedScoop, watching what agencies are doing on cyber in the new year. Billy, thanks for coming on the program today. What is on your agenda? What do you think federal IT people should be paying attention to as we all kind of get back to our routines after the holiday season ends? Welcome. Yeah, thanks, Frank Francis. As always, uh, you know, I think uh, 2022, at least in the the first part, is going to look a lot like uh, extension of 2021. In that, uh, you know, some of the bigger trend lines that we saw uh, throughout most of the year are going to continue. I think the big one that you can't get away from at at this point in time is cybersecurity and really, really that push to zero trust. Uh, we saw the cybersecurity EO that came out in May. And obviously, there will be a one-year anniversary of that in May 2022 that we're going to be watching. Uh, Agencies have set a lot of progress in place uh, in in kind of creating zero trust strategies and continuing to work towards larger goals of the EO. Um, There's things like endpoint detection and response and multi-factor authentication that um, they're starting to implement a lot more. Um, But this is something that's going to take time. We've heard a lot of officials, including you know, like the federal CISO, Chris DeRush, to talk about that you can't just go out and buy a zero trust uh, software or something like that. This is something that takes culture and takes implementation over time. So I think 2022 is going to be a lot about that implementation and seeing uh, progress made and and hopefully um, seeing a lot less of those big uh, major vulnerabilities kind of creep into the federal space that we saw in late 2020 and early 2021. One of the themes of the conversations I've had on this program and and off the air about zero trust and the implementation of it and the culture that you alluded to is, do we have the time for agencies to implement culture? Because that takes a long time to get organizations to think differently. It takes an even longer time for federal government organizations to think differently and, you know, we had this this Log4j problem right before the holidays. Time is of the essence, it strikes me. Sure. And I think it's it's a theme that uh, the government, frankly, may never get away from, that it's constantly trying to play catch up in a lot of these areas. Um, so cybersecurity is the main one. But, you know, another one that uh, the the federal CIO and the, the Biden administration have really been pushing in, in it's in, it's a large kind of microscope into that catch up mode is is the push to in, include better customer service. Uh, the the sub- customer service executive order came out towards the end of 2021 um, and we saw federal CIO Claire Martirana really push agencies to sort of um, be more digital first in the way they deliver their services. Um, and, and again, it goes back to that, the heart of that issue in that um, you, you look at Fortune 500 industry innovators on the private sector, and um, whether it's an Uber or a Grubhub or something, everybody's used to being able to click on their phone and get the services they want in, in an instant. But when it comes to interacting with your government, that's that's not necessarily the case. And there's a number of reasons why that may be, whether there's um, different regulations or acquisition requirements or, or whatever it Maybe, but uh, you've really heard uh, from the top of the Biden administration that that needs to change and that 
you know, there's been this confluence of things that have happened over the past few years, namely the pandemic that have really forced agencies' hands on sort of doing things in a digital way um, as they've had to do things remotely uh, when, when offices have been closed. So I think that's another thing we're going to be able to keep an eye on in the first go of it this year is that uh, our agency is going to make progress when it comes to delivering those digital services uh, in a more, um, you know, efficient and effective manner, similar to how the, the Americans have come to expect them in the private sector. Claire was on the Daily Scoop podcast with Mina Shung, the administrator of the U.S. Digital Service before the holidays, Billy. And that struck me that as an indicator of where the IT community and government is going to go in 2022. The fact that USDS and OCIO at OMB are that tightly collaborating. That, that they're basically signing on, calling themselves, as Claire did, the White House's IT shop. Now, Suzette Kent and Matt Cutts worked together well. They collaborated. But I don't recall that kind of public um, kind of dual-hatted response and the, the very explicit discussion about capacity building in the agencies. Maybe I didn't hear it. Maybe I don't remember it well, but I don't recall it. What does that mean to you as somebody who's covered this stuff for a long time about the, the implications potentially for the individual agencies? Yeah, and I think you're right that, you know, there's always been these two different capacities, the, the Office of the Federal CIO and the USDS, and they've sort of had similar emissions, but they've never worked that closely hand in hand, although um, they have a lot of overlap. And it's something that uh, some some watchdogs like the, the GAO and different IGs have been a little critical of. But I think, you know, if, if they're able to put those two talent pools together, bringing together the Office of the Federal CIO and all the CIOs across agencies and a lot of that legacy sort of career experience that those CIOs hold with some of the insights um, that that come from USDS and bringing people from the private sector where they sort of know how to emulate those things that Americans want. Um, I think if they're able to work in lockstep, uh, there's going to be a lot of progress that can be made in, in sort of not just the cybersecurity or the customer service, but a lot of different things in terms of speeding up digital transformation and IT modernization and really going back to that cultural element of kind of doing things that um, the government isn't used to doing, moving quickly and uh, thinking uh, digital first and sort of uh, building things in a software acquisition method versus a traditional acquisition method uh, that government really isn't built to do. What else is on the landscape right now, Billy? What what should someone else in an IT office in a federal agency look at as uh, we kind of get back to it? So I think one area that I'd be remiss and I haven't really mentioned yet um, is the DOD's large digital transformation. Um, you know, this is a section uh, of, of the federal government that um, is, is, quite frankly, its own Fortune One type organization, and that it, it, it's, it gets back to the same themes that we talked about already and being behind and trying to play catch up. But um, we've seen over the past five years that DOD has been looking to acquire cloud and enterprise way. In um, last year, it canceled its JEDI acquisition in lieu of a new joint warfighting cloud capability, which is going to be a multi-cloud capability. So that'll be something we'll watch how that's delivered and um, if, if they are able to be successful in that. But it ultimately plays into this larger 
um, framework that uh, I, I think will will sort of encompass all of this digital transformation, whether it's on the back end of the DoD or on the battlefield on that really front cutting edge in the joint all domain command and control. Um, and it's a really exciting concept, but it's one that, uh, you know, they talk about a lot, but we haven't seen a ton of progress. And, you know, some of the people at the, the top, including uh, Lieutenant General uh, Dennis Crawl, have been critical of in, in terms of moving slowly. They really want to see a lot of progress being made. So um, it, it's really this thought around rather than being sort of buying these standalone weapon systems and sort of thinking in old school uh, battlefield um Strategy, the DOD is now thinking about all how all of this interconnects to deliver a quicker information loop for decision makers using things like sensors and digital technologies. And obviously the cloud will play into that. So I think this is going to be something where it, it's going to be time for the DOD to really um, make some progress on this or fa risk falling even further behind uh, as they kind of uh, think about how they uh, fight the battles of tomorrow really with those near peer competitors that they haven't had to think a lot about um, over the past 25, 30 years, uh, like China and Russia. So I think that, and then, you know, cybersecurity is another big one for the DOD, particularly in the contractor base. Uh, I think everybody who listens to this podcast has probably heard of this cyber cybersecurity maturity model certification. Um, and a lot of progress was made on the tail end of last year in terms of uh, reinventing that a little bit. They're calling it CMMC 2.0, um, but it, it really narrowed down some of the requirements there. And there was going to be a lot of uh, implications for the department, the CMMC accreditation body, and the thousands of DOD contractors who are awaiting CMMC accreditation. So I think uh, there's going to be a lot to watch in that area as well. A final thought, and the reason that I have more optimism, I guess, as an outside observer than I ever had about JEDI for uh, JWCC, I had a conversation with a very high-level DISA. It was in DISA at the time when the JEDI contract came out. And I asked that person, what was the dialogue between your office and the OCIO at the Pentagon about Jedi? And that person said, I never heard from him. <laughs> and the fact that JWCC basically will live at DISA now rather than OCIO, and DISA has a track record of letting cloud procurements successfully strikes me as maybe the biggest cause for optimism about the whole thing. Do you think that's a fair observation, Billy? I do. There was, I, I don't know how to characterize it properly, but there was a little bit of a turf battle when it came to Jedi. And I'm not sure the reason why, maybe it's because of the optics and the politics involved with it. Um, but it never seemed to be something that everybody, um, maybe minus a few people in the office of the, the DOD CIO knew everything about. Um, now that it's sort of shifted over to DISA, but the, the office of the CIO is also sort of um, overseeing it as well. There seems to, again, be that cultural teamwork and, and, and people looking to kind of play together and, you know, do a team sport when it comes to the acquisition development and implementation of this. And I, I agree. I think um, not only have they corrected some major errors uh, when it came to Jedi being a single acquisition and how they were sort of uh, just didn't, didn't necessarily listen to industry and what industry wanted. Um, but the fact that they're looking to 
um, just be a little bit more cooperative and collaborative across the entire department when it comes to this. I think it's going to we're, we're going to see JWCC uh, be successful in some facet. Um, and whether there's protests or not, the way they've built it, um, I think they're going to get it together. Um, as we've seen the intelligence community doing a similar model with its uh, C2E process, uh, I think JWCC is going to work out and uh, we're going to finally see the Department of Defense get some sort of enterprise cloud in 2022. All right, Billy Mitchell, Happy New Year. Thanks for joining me and uh, look forward to another great year of coverage from you and your team. Appreciate it. Thanks, Francis. You can read more about all these topics in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. February 8th is the Delivering Better Outcomes Through Automation event FedScoop's putting on. It's at the Ritz-Carlton West End from 8.30 to 3. You can read more about it and sign up for it through the link in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Department of Homeland Security is bringing together its component agencies and headquarters to collaborate on deploying cutting-edge technologies like artificial intelligence and robotic process automation. Dave Laramore is the chief technology officer at DHS. He was on a panel I hosted for the Association for Federal Information Resources Management, a firm, and I asked him what's making that collaboration successful. A good leader being able to broach that topic and encourage collaboration uh, will have far more success than a, a poor leader. Um, again, I got I got to go back to the fact that I used to work at a component, and now I'm at headquarters. Um, I am so thankful for that time. I am so thankful I had that opportunity to understand what it is to be at a component. You know, the first thing I did when I came in is, is talk to the team, and, and you know, we, we do so much work, right? The chief technology officers uh, office in uh, headquarters and, and DHS does so much work and is such an incredible team. Um, but, you know, everything that came in, I was like, well, what are you doing for the component? Like, what's the carrot? What's the stick, right? Like, how are you helping them? Um, and through that mindset change, um, that is affecting our collaboration, right? Um, whether it is creating a IPT around zero trust, whether it is working on the uh, gigantic effort that is uh, the transition to EIS, uh, whether it's your little puppy dog screaming upstairs, um, collaboration <laughs> uh, it changes depending upon the mission, right? So um, it is very easy to collaborate if you're able to use the mission as the center point of that topic. Um, the tools and technologies have been available, right? You know, we talk about teams off of 365 and it's so much harder for a lot of the big organizations to adopt that. And I just, it's just incredible. Uh, I was saying, I was talking about with, with the army and, and everything they were able to accomplish there. Like, you know, it was not an easy decision and it was not an easy implementation for DHS. Um, but we're there now. And, and, uh, it was not COVID that brought us here. Um, but we are stronger and more resilient to COVID because of those decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, moral of the story is uh, collaboration is, is predominantly focusing on, on the mission. And if we're able to use that, uh, we're able to get past a lot of the personality um, and a lot of the, the leadership issues. Dave Laramore of DHS at the Affirm event, Empowering Government with Emerging IT. Anil Chaudhry, the Director of Federal AI Implementations at the General Services Administration, was on that panel too. And he told me the ideas that support the people, processes, technology concept don't change over time. You know, you don't hit technology first. You hit the people first 
change, drive change there, then process, then technology, because technology is the easiest thing to implement. And then the other thing is the 80-15-5 rule, you know, is that you really have three populations, whether it's your customers or your own internal workforce. You have really three different groups. And if you try to push technology one way as opposed to three ways, it won't work well. But to your point, you know, the future as I uh, see it, you know, in, uh, and, you know, consensus with my peers is really artificial intelligence, which includes, you know, RPA, chatbots, machine learning, natural language processing, basically anything that takes the cognitive load off a uh, actual human. And, you know, the next thing you had mentioned, obviously, the technologies that implement them, you know, 5G, edge computing, all those other, you know, uh, you know, those identity management uh, solutions, everything that, uh, you know, the hardware that makes the network work to implement AI, I'd put those two buckets as, you know, the, the next five years where we're going to see a lot of change in federal government based on, you know, the expectation that the public has from what they see in the private sector. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to go back the, around the horn the opposite direction this time. So, Dave, I'll come to you next. Um, particular technologies that you think are uh, useful or, or will be front and center, or should we be thinking about them as a suite of technologies, Dave? So I don't think you can enter this conversation without talking a significant about AI and machine learning and uh, what I am learning around that is how important transparency and how important policy and guidance is around that and how things that aren't necessarily related to technology is directing the use of technology. Um, I think that in the future, there's going to be a heavy dependence on our ability to be able to uh, collect inventory catalog uh, and explain to the American people um, the ethical and humane use of technologies to support our various missions. Um, so that's, that's one side of it, right? And that I don't want to lose sight of that. Um, talking in, in more of a, you know, I'm an IT guy uh, uh, language, I think that the government is going to start leveraging all of these technologies in different ways and the measure of a good pro uh, project or program uh, or mission capability is not going to be how much AI are they using, how much RPA are they using, whether they've implemented zero trust it is going to be measuring their ability to rapidly change. Mm -hmm. So it's not gonna be about meeting a requirement that was five years old. It's about knowing that the program and the people and the processes are mature enough to be able to meet tomorrow's requirement. And, um, you know, to, to take a colleague who I'm chatting with on the side here, um, you know, hyper automation is, is a big part of that, right? So all of those technologies support that, by the way. Um, so, you know, being able to automate better, faster, stronger, quicker um, with a higher success rate 
is all going to lead to that result of being able to change quicker. Dave Laramore of DHS at the Affirm event, Empowering Government with Emerging IT. You can find a link to watch the entire event in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C., James Mahoney helps me put it together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Tuesday's show debuts tomorrow afternoon. Until then, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.